life of me, I can't come up with any rationale or reason for this. So there's two things that you think of. Number one, they maybe want the votes. They think that they're going to get these people registered and to vote. And I'll give else. you citizenship. I hope yeah, you remember you know, me at the polls. Do all sorts of things. Oh. But I don't know. I'm doing very well his, with Hispanic, and you have a lot of Hispanic coming. But the fact yes, that's Trump saying he's doing very well with Hispanic. Hmm. I unfortunately have much more to play for you from the interview between Sean Handy and Donald Trump at the southern border, and it gets much worse. Quickly before playing another moment, I do want to remind you to click the like button, if you would, and the alert bell as well. That's very helpful. And also, more importantly, remind you that we cannot get numb to the insanity of Donald Trump and MAGA. That's how we get complacent. And so as I walk you through these moments, as I often say, I want you to keep in mind that a massive portion of this country thinks this man is reasonable and he's nearly inevitably going to be the nominee for one of the two major parties for president in the most powerful country on the planet. The guy who tried to block the peaceful transfer of power last time he was president has called for the termination of the constitution, said the government should come down hard on media outlets he doesn't like, was found liable for sexually abusing E. Jean Carroll, defaming her, and for business fraud. Countless people who worked closely with him are saying he's a threat to democracy and he's openly echoing the rhetoric of Hitler over and over again like this. They wouldn't allow it. They wouldn't stand for it. So it's a very terrible thing. What's our country is being poisoned. We're really being poisoned. And and of course, this comes after moments like this one in past interviews. Nobody has any idea where these people are coming from. And we know they come from prisons. We know they come from mental institutions, insane asylums. We know they're terrorists. Nobody has ever seen anything like we're witnessing right now. It is a very sad thing for our country. Uh, it's poisoning the blood of our country. Uh, it's so bad. As we've talked about, that sort of terminology replicates the language of Hitler, obviously super dangerous. And we also talked about in a segment yesterday while covering Biden and Trump's parallel visits to the border. On one side, you had Biden talking in a level-headed manner about how we can address issues at the southern border and he's supporting strong legislation that's endorsed by the Border Patrol Union. Then on the other, you have Trump, who's responsible for convincing MAG Republicans to kill that legislation to hurt Biden politically, while he fearmongers and rambles about how people are coming from insane asylums or whatever it might be. Fearmongering and nonsense versus actual problem solving and at least an ambition to govern if he'd stop being obstructed. That's the contrast between the two individuals. And then it's not a Trump speech or interview without him insisting. He's cognitively fine because he took a dementia screening test. But I took two of them and I aced both of them, I'm very proud to say, meaning I got it all right. Ronnie and they're Jackson. not that, they're not, Ronnie Jackson did one. They're not that easy. You know, they, they show you the first ones are pretty easy. And then you get up, you get into the middle category, then you get to the end questions. Very few people could answer those questions. They're, very, they're actually tough. very tough. I've seen the test. But Stop it. Stop it. <laughs> The more you bring that up and go, oh my gosh, I'm so smart because I took this test that's supposed to screen for dementia and brain damage, the worse you look. So I guess keep doing it. Never mind. Ignore that advice. Uh, and no, at the end, there aren't tough questions. Pretty basic stuff as we've gone over in the past. And by the way, I've never seen someone talk about how cognitively okay they are more than Donald Trump, which definitely bolsters the sense that he's anything but cognitively okay. And by the way, there was a good piece out of Salon that documents the assessment of Dr. Gartner, who also appeared recently on the David Pakman show. And the Salon piece is titled Dr. John Gartner on 
a tale of two brains. Biden's brain's aging. Trump's brain is dementing. And one excerpt reads as follows. There's also this focus on Biden's gaffes or other things that are well within the normal limits of aging. By comparison, Trump appears to be showing gross signs of dementia. This is a tale of two brains. Biden's brain's aging. Trump's brain is dementing. And Dr. Gardner talks about how Biden's showing normal signs of aging that impacts, sure, his ability to deliver compelling speeches, but not his ability to govern and make wise decisions as president. Whereas Trump's brain, based on the observational evidence laid out in this article, is showing signs of dementia-esque deterioration. Again, I'll link the article in the description if you want to check it out. But essentially, there are tells of either situation, even though the media discussion on the two seems a little bit backwards. Then here's another moment from his interview now on the subject of the overturning of Roe v. Wade. They have gone, you know, much different than a lot of people thought. But everybody on both sides said it has to be in the states. We did a very good thing, a very big thing, a very important thing. Probably hurt the Republicans because a lot of Republicans really didn't know how to talk about it. But so it's just delusional to say that both sides thought the rights of women are best left to the state. Ridiculous. And before responding more, here's this one. And I said, what's the issue? What is it? Explain. What is it exactly? And we're talking about the IVF. And I said, we want that. We want people to help. We're on the side of women. Yes, the civilly liable sexual abuser who's responsible for the overturning of Roe v. Wade with the justices he got on the court. He's on the side of women. Doesn't sound exactly right. But I guess there he's also saying he disagrees with the Alabama Supreme Court's IVF ruling. And we've seen Republicans, for good reason, struggling to respond to that ruling because of how insane it was. But I really do hope and I actually expect that among all of the other massive existential issues we're facing in this election, the reproductive rights of women will be one of the things that's responsible when we're looking back on this moment for a blowout election for the Democrats. Then, of course, Trump makes his insane argument in this interview that presidents should have total immunity, this coming in the wake of the Supreme Court agreeing to hear his immunity case. If you're going to make a big decision as president and you're afraid that as soon as you get out, you're going to be indicted by the opposition party, by the Democrats, by the radical left lunatics who will indict you and try and put you in prison because you're trying to do something good for the country, even if it's severe, the severe may be a great thing for the country. They have to have presidential immunity. If you don't have immunity for a president, and I'm not talking about only me, if you don't have immunity for a president, you're going to, you will not be able to function properly. You will not be able to do the right thing for the country. And then they have- It's strange. The whole first half of that clip was him rambling about, if you do something, you'll get indicted by the Democrats and you'll be sad because you wanted to end democracy. And why can't you end democracy? And you really didn't think that you should have lost to Joe Biden. You love that Diet Coke button on your desk in the Oval Office. You didn't want to lose it. And you knew that Melania would stop talking to you if you didn't have power anymore. And no, not you. Me is the word you're looking for. You're talking about yourself, Trump. And that's why he realizes sort of mid clip how it sounds and goes, oh, I mean, any president, to be clear, should have immunity. I'm not just talking about me, please. Now, of course, the obvious follow-up is, okay, since you were trying to block the peaceful transfer of power, and that's what we're talking about here, and prevent the American people from deciding the president, and you think you should have immunity for that, well then, let's just take that logic to its conclusion, and Joe Biden then can do the same thing this time around with immunity. Joe, <laughs> good news. Not really, because we respect democracy, but tongue-in-cheek, good news. Trump 
says that you can cancel the election and do whatever you want with immunity. Such a crazy argument. Republicans, please, 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 please really think about if the roles were reversed and Joe Biden had tried to block the peaceful transfer power, which, you know, in the future, this election go round and then tried to assert immunity from criminal prosecution and thinks that he should just be able to act in any way he wants while president and get away with it, even if it violates the law. You would be screaming about a dictator. And so would those who respect democracy on the left. Uh, but somehow that blows my mind. People say it's reasonable. It's not. And then he says this. And the governor is going to help because there's nobody better at this. It's called energy. Exactly. And we are going to, as I, you know, I use this expression, now everyone else is using it, so I hate to use it, but drill, baby, drill. We're going to drill. Yeah, so of course, drill, baby, drill was a 2008 Republican campaign slogan, so not exactly a new Trump thing. But also we've hit record oil production under Joe Biden. So I don't know why that's a campaign talking point from Republicans. We are apparently drilling, baby, drilling. Now, another really important thing, just get ready because Republicans have realized that they can't run on the economy because it's doing well. Thanks, Joe. They can't run on almost any policy issue because Democrats have more popular policy positions. So they've created this new supposed crisis, migrant crime. You'll see it everywhere across right-wing media. Instead of having any actual policy conversations like Biden, Democrats, and some Republicans want to have, these MAG Republicans are just nebulously fear-mongering about migrant crime, as they call it. And the argument goes something like, migrants are causing a surge in crime thanks to Joe Biden, which is an interesting argument to make given this set of facts as Chris Hayes nicely broke down last night on his show. If you have tuned into right-wing media at all over the past few months, you might have noticed that after spending years beating the drum on inflation, Fox News does not really want to talk about the economy anymore. They sure as heck do not want to talk about abortion. So what is their new pet issue heading into the general election? So-called migrant crime. That's it. I honestly, you cannot overstate the deluge of coverage. At any given moment all day, Fox is either reporting on crime, finishing a segment of crime, or about to run a seg run a segment on migrant crime. Migrant crime is beginning to spiral out of control. There's a migrant crime spree killing Americans. Migrant yep. crime wave and the uh, migrant no, crime uh, crisis. That migrant crime. The growing immigrant crime crisis. Every third day there's a story about some sort of migrant crime. The drumbeat of propaganda has been moving not just Republicans, but public opinion overall in a really bad direction. A recent Pew poll found that a clear majority of Americans believe a large increase in the migrant population leads to an increase in crime. The problem is it's not true. It is simply not true. It is a right-wing invention. According to preliminary data from last year published by the New York Times, quote, the country is likely to see one of the largest, if not the largest, yearly declines in homicides. That's right. We are going to set a record in 2023 for a drop in homicides. So to recap, Homicides saw a near-record single-year spike under Donald Trump, and it now appears the largest single-year decline in homicides ever in American history happened under Joe Biden. And I will further speculate that if 2023 saw the biggest one-year increase, increase in the homicide rate in recorded American history, everyone would know about it. But what's more... According to a new analysis from NBC News, quote, expert analysis and available data from major city police departments show, despite several horrifying high-profile incidents, 
There is no evidence of a migrant-driven crime wave in the United States. In fact, in many of the cities, like New York, that have taken in a huge amount of migrants, and really have been a lot, crime has gone down quite considerably. So, of course, let's try to address issues at the southern border, enforce laws at the border as the administration has been doing. Let's address backlogs, invest in improving the general immigration system broadly. But let's not lie about the reality of the situation on the ground. The dehumanization and fear-mongering does nothing for anyone, except for, I guess, Fox News' ratings and Republicans' electoral prospects, which is really sad. Get on board with the policy proposals Biden and bipartisan Republicans are putting forward, endorsed by Border Patrol, bring a counteroffer, or shut up about it. <laughs> if they're going to blame Biden, by the way, for every time they so much as stub their toe, okay, we've heard everything getting blamed on Biden for the last few years, then it's time, Fox News, to go on the air and say, Joe Biden single-handedly is responsible for one of the largest plummets in crime in American history. That would be the consistent thing to do. You blame everything on him, time to give him credit for everything. While the transcript from Hunter Biden's closed-door deposition in front of the House Oversight Committee has been released, and my goodness, I knew that it didn't go well for Republicans before the transcript was released just based on how they were acting after the deposition, but it went even worse than I could have predicted. Hunter Biden came prepared. He's <clears throat> a lawyer, which helps. He clearly has the facts on his side as we've gone over extensively on the show. And he bluntly shut down one dishonest talking point or conspiracy theory about his father after another. And it was an absolute delight to read. You can find the whole transcript online. And I'm not normally someone who would love to sit down and read a whole 200 page congressional transcript uh, in one sitting, but I was able to get through almost all of it before falling asleep with my laptop in my lap last night. Quite the crazy Thursday night. But it was because it was actually really fascinating. And I'll go through a few moments from it in this segment. But as someone who has been covering this Hunter Biden stuff since, my goodness, I had two people watching the show. There's something, shout out to Jared. Uh, there's something satisfying about seeing Hunter address this in the way that he did and to watch this all crumble for Republicans. Again, essentially, since I started this show, we've been covering all the different allegations and talking about how evidence is just not being brought forward. And finally, long time coming, we're seeing it fully end in a total humiliation as we've seen little humiliations along the way. Now, of course, before diving into some of these excerpts, I'll remind you of the context. I always want to do that for any new viewers. Republicans have been investigating and leading an impeachment inquiry into Joe Biden, accusing him of all sorts of crazy things they just can't seem to substantiate. And one of the big claims that is sort of a nice exemplification of the absurdity of this broader effort is the fact that uh, Joe Biden was bribed, is the claim. And that came from an informant that has since been indicted for lying to the FBI about this very subject and fabricating it to hurt Biden politically and using his informant status to do so. So again, he's been indicted for that. Plus, he said that he was fed this nonsense by Russian intelligence. That's according to him, which is pretty crazy. And Republicans have spent months and months and months investigating and have taken that time to come up with a lot of riveting stories about Joe Biden and Hunter Biden that just don't happen to exist in real life. So 
really fascinating, they're just fictional. Um, they've come up with nothing real evidence backed. But despite that, they've been promising to bring Hunter in front of the committee and grill him about everything. And I think they have said so many times on right wing networks, we're going to bring in Hunter Biden and we're going to keep this investigation going. So now they sort of have to go through the motions and follow through, even though I'm sure Republicans get how embarrassing this is becoming as it keeps falling apart further. So Hunter Biden did show up and uh, took the the lunch money of Republicans, frankly. But James Comer, even after all that, said he's going to continue and move forward with a public hearing next, which he must just really like being embarrassed. Gets way too much enjoyment out of being embarrassed. <laughs> with that being said, I know I'm probably going to read more than normal at least, but maybe some of you won't find it super interesting. But stick with me for this because some of the moments from this transcript are so dang interesting and so i do want to break down some of them for you and uh we'll go through a few different things starting with some funny moments here's a back and forth between democrat eric swalwell and james comer and then democrat jerry nadler jumps in so eric swalwell says hey chairman about that parliamentary inquiry when are you going to release this transcript and then the aide of comer says i'm going to get to that in one moment sir so then eric swalwell says i'm asking the chairman not you chairman comer when are you going to release the transcript on this? And then Comer says, we're conducting the deposition. That'll be his voice, all right? Eric Swalwell says, yeah, but you've got 91 of them buried. And, and then Comer interrupts, I don't care about your, or I don't care what your question is. Then Jerry Nadler jumps in. Well, I care what his question is. When are you going to release this transcript? There are 91 transcripts that haven't been released yet. Then Comer says, we'll release the deposition, the transcripts, like we always do when we agree to release the deposition, the transcripts. Then Eric Swallow says, shouldn't the witness know? And Comer says, yeah, we want to put the transcript out within a day. Then Jerry Nadler says, within a day? Very good, thank you. And Comer says, we'll do our best, yes. And then Swallow said, <laughs> this is the part. Eric Swallow says, in English or Russian? And then a Comer aide says, excuse me, what'd you say? And Comer says, we've already answered the question, Eric, and we're not going to tolerate outbursts like we had the last time. And Nadler says, he said within a day, that's fine. So of course, Swalwell there pointing out the fact that MAGA Republicans seem oddly pro-Russian, especially in the wake of them promoting false information, as I said, about Biden that was allegedly fed to Alexander Smirnov and Republicans by Russian intelligence. Then in this next moment, Hunter Biden hilariously questions if Matt Gates is the best person to ask about Hunter's drug use, given Gates's alleged drug use is what hunter's insinuating he doesn't say that explicitly obviously so matt gates says were you on drugs when you were on the burisma board he says hunter biden says mr gates look me in the eye you really think that's appropriate to ask me matt gates says absolutely then hunter biden says of all the people sitting around this table do you think that's appropriate to ask me i should do this this is probably how it was do you think that's appropriate to ask me. And Matt Gates says, yeah, are you going to answer it? Then Lowell jumps in. You don't have to answer it. Hunter Biden says, I'm not going to answer it. I've been explicit about it. And Matt Gates says, so you're telling me, and Hunter Biden said, I will answer it this way. I've been absolutely transparent about my drug use. Again, I spoke to you all earlier this morning about that. I'm sorry. I'm an addict. I was an addict. I have been in recovery for over four and a half years now, Mr. Gates. I work really, really hard at it. Let me answer. I work really hard at it under an enormous amount of pressure. Was I an addict? Yes, I was an addict. What does that have to do with whether or not you're going to go forward with an impeachment of my father other than to simply try to embarrass me? I mean, 
meaningful the second part but the <laughs> beginning was priceless on the part of hunter biden and most of the transcript is hunter biden seemingly from what i can tell reading it calmly and patiently walking through facts and figures about so many business deals and years and explaining how the facts don't align with republicans narrative but every once in a while he jab uh, a republican like that which was hilarious matt gates deserves it and before reading hunter's opening statement i will say that was my overall takeaway uh, in this segment i wouldn't have anyone watch it if i just went through every single little fact that hunter outlined and really properly conveyed to you how much he was able to go through and how many lies he was able to debunk a bunch of it had to do with all these names and companies that wouldn't make sense to most understandably but he was able to precisely answer each question and under oath explain why joe biden never acted improperly and never involved himself in any of hunter biden's ventures which is really important to make clear. With that being said, here was Hunter's opening statement. I am here today to provide the committees with the one uncontestable fact that should end the false premise of this inquiry. I did not involve my father in my business, not while I was a practicing lawyer, not in my investments or transactions, domestic or international, not as a board member and not as an artist, never. You read this fact in the many letters that I have been sent to you over the last year as part of your so-called impeachment investigation. You heard this fact when I said it weeks ago, standing outside of this building. You heard this fact from a parade of other witnesses, former colleagues and business partners of mine, including my uncle who has testified before you in similar proceedings. And now today you hear this fact directly from me. For more than a year, your committees have hunted me in your partisan political pursuit of my dad. You have trafficked in innuendo, distortion, and sensationalism, all the while ignoring the clear and convincing evidence staring you in the face. You do not have evidence to support the baseless and MAGA-motivated conspiracies about my father because there isn't any. True. You have built your entire partisan house of cards on lies told by the likes of Gal Luft, Tony Bobulinski, Alexander Smirnov, and Jason Galanis. Love, who is a fugitive, has been indicted for his lies and other crimes. Smirnov, who has made you dupes in carrying out a Russian disinformation campaign waged against my father, has been indicted for his lies. Bobulinski, who has been exposed for the many false statements he has made, and Galanis, who is serving 14 years in prison for fraud. Rather than following the facts as they've been laid out before you in bank records, financial statements, correspondence, and other witness testimony, you continue your frantic search to prove the lies you and those you rely upon keep peddling. Yes, they are lies. To be clear, I've made mistakes in my life and I've squandered opportunities and privileges that were afforded to me. I know that. I am responsible for that. And I am making amends for that. But my mistakes and my shortcomings are not or I should say, my shortcomings are my own and not my father's, who has done nothing but devote his entire life to public service and trying to make this country a better place to live. During my battle with addiction, my father was there for me. He helped save my life. His love and support made it possible for me to get sober, stay sober, and rebuild my life as a father, a son, a husband, and a brother. What he got in return for being a loving, supportive parent is a barrage of hate-filled conspiracy theories that hatched this sham impeachment inquiry and continued to fuel unrelenting personal attacks against him and me. Over the last year, Republicans have taken my communications out of context, relied on documents that have been altered, and cherry-picked snippets of financial and other records to misrepresent what really happened. Examples of this include a few references to my family in emails or texts I sent when I was in the darkest days of my addiction. If you try to do that today, my answers will reveal your tactics and demonstrate the truth that my father was never involved in any of my businesses.
My testimony today should put an end to this baseless and destructive political charade. You have wasted valuable time resources attacking me and my family for your own political gain when you should be fixing the real problems in this country that desperately need your attention. Thank you. So I know a lot of reading I normally don't read, barely ever read that much on the show, but I thought that you should hear the whole opening statement because it was right there to the point, nailing a lot of these different issues. And uh, that was the only way you can hear it since it's just a transcript. So of course it's not that Hunter Biden is some hero. He clearly has a rough past. It's that he's had to watch his dad be smeared for years now and finally got to go in and speak some truth about it. And what was made abundantly clear, as has been clear for some time with the rest of the investigation, but further bolstered in this deposition was the fact that Joe Biden has served for decades free of any corruption, unlike his predecessor. And that's something Republicans eventually need to just come out and admit. I want to quickly touch on an absolutely crazy story that's getting less coverage than I would have expected. But I think this could end up I hope it will, uh, really backfiring on Republicans, could really destroy them electorally because of how unpopular it is. Take a look at this reporting from the Washington Post first. Prominent congressional Republicans are coming out in support, and this part's not the bad part, um, but we'll get to it, of in vitro fertilization days after the Alabama State Supreme Court ruled that frozen embryos are people and therefore that someone can be held liable for destroying them. But many of the same Republicans, here it is, who are saying Americans should have access to IVF have co-sponsored legislation that employs an argument similar to the one the Alabama Supreme Court used in its ruling. The congressional proposal known as the Life at Conception Act defines a human being to, quote, include each member of the species Homo sapiens at all stages of life, including the moment of fertilization or cloning or other moment at which an individual member of the human species comes into being. The bill would also provide equal protection under the 14th Amendment for the right to life of each born and pre-born human person. So House Republicans, for some reason, are pushing forward legislation signed, uh, signed on to by Speaker of the House Mike Johnson that would do the very thing that many of them right now are panicking about and saying they don't want to support in the wake of the Alabama Supreme Court ruling, which is opening up IVF centers to way too much liability and would crush IVF for families trying to have children. The pro-family values party, ladies and gentlemen. Then here's MSNBC's Chris Hayes for the second time today, I'm referencing him, uh, expanding on this. Things are even worse on the House side. You saw a whole bunch of House members talking about how much they love IVF. A majority of the Republican caucus has signed on to a bill that would nationalize the Alabama ruling. I'm not making this up. It includes Speaker Mike Johnson, who claimed to support IVF in a recent statement. Here's the bill. You can find it online, okay? HR 431. The bill is called the Life at Conception Act. It would, and I'm quoting the bill language, implement equal protection under the 14th article of the amendment to the constitution for the right to life of each born and pre-born human person well how do you define that it goes on to define a human person as including and i quote again each and every member of the species homo sapiens at all stages of life and here's the key part including the moment of fertilization frozen embryos have been fertilized so 14th amendment rights right a similar bill in the Senate, we should note, has very similar language, but it also explicitly carves out IVF. Guess what? The House version makes no such exception. You think that's an oversight? 
I think it's intentional. I think House Republicans know exactly what they're doing, that it is both craven and extremely unpopular. So obviously the policy of this is crazy. Defining personhood as at conception or fertilization is horrible in all of its implications that I know I don't have to explain to you, stripping away the rights of women. But as I often say on these things, you have the policy, but also the politics. And while I obviously don't understand the policy, I also really don't understand the politics in an election year. Why on earth? Republicans, are you making your very unpopular stance on reproductive rights even more in people's faces? If Republicans lose big in November, as I'm expecting and hoping that they will, one of the major variables will be reproductive rights. This coming in the form of abortion rights for much of the last few years, but now IVF becoming a big issue because of Alabama's ruling. Why on earth are you doing everything you can as a party to alienate as many voters as possible? I really don't understand, but I guess make your beliefs known so that we can crush you electorally. Now, by the way, if you take this sort of definition to its logical conclusion, things get pretty wacky, as our resident legal expert pointed out in a past segment when we covered this ruling, of course, Aaron Parnas said this. Yeah, I mean, so now apparently if this if, if fertilized embryos are considered humans, then anyone can go and fertilize say 20 embryos and now have 20 tax deductions on their tax forms. They now have 20 extra COVID relief checks, um, $2,000 a pop. They now have um, a, a number, uh, they, they now can claim that an embryo is a passenger and go in a um, HOV lane on a highway. There are just so many different implications. This this really does open up Pandora's box in a lot of ways. Now, if you're watching this video and you're in Alabama, no, you can't do any of these things because this was a limited ruling simply related to the wrongful death statute. But you could totally see conservatives expanding this definition to include embryos in a number of scenarios. And it it's a potentially, it's a, it's a major issue that will, like I said, open up Pandora's box. Yeah, so even though obviously, uh, I, I think obviously those sorts of things wouldn't be allowed to happen. It emphasizes the ridiculousness of what we're talking about here. Now, this next clip was too good to just play once. So I'm going to play it again to remind you of how much Republicans are struggling to answer for this Alabama ruling. I'll show you Tommy Tuberville being confronted about it and starting off by saying he supports the Alabama Supreme Court decision, then just minutes or you know, seconds later saying he doesn't support it and needs to read it. Take a look. Sasha Burns with NBC News. I wanted to ask, do you have a reaction to the Alabama Supreme Court ruling on the fact that embryos are children? Yeah, I was all for it. Uh, you know, you just got to look at everything going on in the country. It's a, just attack on families, attack on kids. You know, anything that we can do for the future of our young people because they're our number one commodity. We need to have more kids. We need to have an opportunity to do that. And this, I thought this was the right thing to do. But IVF is used to have more children. And right now, IVF services are paused at some of the clinics in Alabama. Aren't you concerned that this could impact people who are trying to have kids? Well, that's for, that's for another conversation. I think the big thing is right now you protect. You go back to the situation and, and try to work it out to where it's best for everybody. I mean, it, it, that's, what, that's what the whole abortion issue is about. So but this really isn't about abortion. It's about no, no, I, no. IVF and the concern that now but families it, might it, not have access to it. But it's about the same direction. But I agree. But people need to have access. People need to have. We need more kids. We need the people to to have the opportunity to have kids. IVF. IVF is not a Democrat or Republican issue. Families across it the board should, use it. it what, what do you? What is your message to the Supreme Court if this does in fact stop 
families from being able to use IVF? Well, we don't need that. You know, I'm, all, I'm, I'm understanding with that. We need people to have an opportunity to have kids. Okay, that's that's my whole whole. Uh, you uh, women I, oh, sure, sure I do, sure I do, sure I do. I understand that. I mean, that's not my decision. No, I. They should be able to. Yeah, should be. Sure, they should. Sure they. Do you agree with the Supreme Court decision or not? I'd have to look at what they're agreeing to and not agreeing to. I haven't seen that. Okay. And as I said when we covered this previously. Tommy Tuberville has so little respect for his constituents that he didn't even bother to read up on the case. It's pretty disgusting. And Mike Johnson came out in favor of IVF very proudly, even though he's supporting this legislation. They're confused, but dishonest and advocating for truly bad policy positions. Make sure you're subscribed to the YouTube channel. And that is super helpful. If you want to go a step further and get a daily bonus show, you can do so by going to lukebeasleyshow.com slash membership.